for prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this evening, again, focusing on thy will be done, we pray that by your word and spirit you would work your will in our hearts and in our lives, that we might be a people who pay attention to you, to what you call us to say and to do as witnesses to the world around us. Father, give us the strength of your spirit and the boldness of your word as we live according to your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we once again explore that wonderful phrase, thy will be done, tonight we focus a little bit more on a, a wider view, a world view. And when we talk about worldview, the first thing that we often think about is what's going on in our world. And we look around our world and we see things happening. We might see wars or famines or earthquakes or other natural disasters. We might focus a little more narrowly on our own country and we begin to see what's going on in terms of, of politics or culture and all of those things going on. And we have this kind of worldview. And sometimes when we look at all of those things, we can become a little frightened. Well, that's the same as true of the, of the apostles at the time of, of Christ. After his, his crucifixion uh, on the cross and even his, his resurrection from the dead, uh, the texts of the scriptures tell us that, that we find the disciples locked in an upper room in Jerusalem because they're afraid. They're afraid that they might suffer the same thing that, that Jesus himself suffered. And it takes them a while to come out of that. But even after he ascends into heaven, once again, they're afraid. And, and, and think about it this way. They're afraid because, you see, things have not quite worked out the way that they had envisioned. You see, as Jesus calls them to be his disciples and as they're following him and they see all sorts of miracles and signs and wonders being done, they're convinced that he's the one who's, who's to be king. They're convinced that he's actually going to take a real throne and even a couple of the disciples come up and they ask him, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, can I sit at your right and my brother at your left? I mean, think about it. The disciples are thinking, we're going to have top jobs in the next administration. Maybe even cabinet-level jobs. And, and we're going to do great things. We're going to chase the Romans out. We're going to revive the nation of Israel. That wasn't God's will. That was their dreams, and perhaps even their will. God's will was for Christ to go to a cross, receive a crown of thorns, and a throne of wood. God's will was for His Son to die for the sins of the whole world. You see, that's God's worldview. God's worldview comes at it from a very individual way. We are all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God and no one is righteous, not even one. And God's worldview is, how do I fix this? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus delivers the worldview to the disciples on the day of his ascension. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And then those wonderful words that we need to hang on to and remember. And lo, I will be with you always to the very close of the age. But again, the disciples are probably thinking to themselves, that's not what we really signed on for. And it's not until he sends his Holy Spirit from on high a few days later that they go out into the streets and that they begin to preach. And they begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you see, speaking up for their faith and preaching the gospel gets them into trouble with the governing authorities. The governing authorities say, uh-uh, that's not what you should be doing. And they haul them into prison. And Peter reminds them we must be about doing the things of God, not the things of men. And they still keep preaching. That's important for us to know. In our lesson today, we hear about one of the deacons of the church who's also publicly preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you see, he does it and he's told to stop, and he doesn't stop. And they take him outside the city gates. And they stone him to death. It's increasingly apparent to me that the proclamation of God's Word, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our world, is not welcome. In some countries we know that Christians are literally dying for their faith. I just read an article the other day that disturbed me. You see, what people in our country want, after I read this article, I just said, is, is they don't want a real God. They just want a secular God. In Pennsylvania, in the State House there, and maybe some of you caught this article, a freshman senator or, 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 or representative was asked to give the opening prayer for the daily business of the house. Happened to be the day also that a new freshman representative was being sworn in, the very first female Muslim. And her cleric, her imam, was there with her. But this gal gets up and she prays an opening prayer and she invokes the name of Jesus Christ throughout the prayer and closes the prayer in the name of Jesus, my Savior. Amen. 
and she was lambasted by her fellow representatives and by the media and everybody else who was there that day. You see, they wanted her to give a generic prayer to a generic God. But she said, I can't do that. I'm called to be a Christian and to bear my faith. The, the sad thing is, is that a few minutes later, the imam gets up to invoke the name of Allah, and no one complains. What would you do? Christians are more and more being asked to just worship in their own place and not to bring their faith into the public arena. Don't be out in the courtyards and in the public places proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. They hauled Stephen out and they stoned him to death. These are the very same individuals who a few weeks earlier said, you know it's against the law for us to put someone to death. We need to get the Romans to do it for us. And they crucified Jesus. But they didn't go to the Romans this time. You see, they were so incensed with the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached that they ignored the law and took it into their own hands. And if you don't believe that's not happening in our nation right now, then you're not keeping up with the news. The persecutions of Christians, it's increasing. Laws are being ignored. Rights are being trampled because people are speaking the name of Jesus. Thy will be done. What is God's will in all of this? That we as Christians remain silent or that we preach and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ in all boldness to a sinful and dying world? That's something that we need to lay before the Lord in prayer so that we know what His will is and how we would serve Him as a church and as a people and as individuals. You see, Paul, who was Saul at the time, we read in the lesson that what he was doing was going through Jerusalem, pounding on doors and rounding up the men and the women and the children and hauling them off into prison. And some of them, we know historically, were even being put to death because they were believers in the Christ. We know that he even went to the leadership of the Jewish community there and he got letters of authority to take with him to Damascus, which by the way was outside of the Roman province in which he was living. And again he had orders to round up the Christians and haul them back to Jerusalem. It's against Roman law. You can't do that. But he was convinced he was doing God's work. 
only one problem. He never stopped to ask God if it was his will. We can fall into that same trap sometimes as churches and individuals. We think we're doing what God wants us to do. We think we're doing the right things. But guess what? We didn't stop to ask. We just simply say, sounds good to me. We heard that even in our Lenten service a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about David and Nathan. We'll build the temple. Sounds good to me. No, David. It's not my will. In a humorous way, sometimes we decided here this way, let's vote on it. How many of you have been to a voters' assembly meeting, right? If you haven't, you should come. It's a great experience. Why? Because we see God's people pause to pray when there's an important decision to make. Lord, help us to follow your will. But to follow God's will, we have to have hearts that are open to following God's will. And sometimes to have a heart that's opening to following God's will, you got to be hit in the forehead with a two-by-four, or apparently Christ on the road to Damascus, in the case of Saul, who confronts him and says, why are you persecuting me? Well, what do you mean, Lord? Who are you? I've just been doing the work of God. I'm out running up those people that are Christians, and I'm taking them back to Jerusalem, and we're putting them in jail. Oh. I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting? Oh. The scripture tells us that his eyes are wide open, but he can't see. I think there's a little bit of double entendre there. Not only is he blind physically, but he's been blind spiritually to the will of God. And they lead him into Damascus where he is there for three days. He's not eating or drinking because you think he's got to be thinking about his life. He doesn't know if this blindness is going to end. What just happened to me? What have I been doing? Can you imagine the guilt that's washed over him because he's directly responsible for the deaths of innocent people who are worshiping the Christ? Lord visits a believer in Christ by the name of Ananias and says, Ananias, a man is going to need you here. I want you to go to the house on Straight Street where Judas lives and you're going to find there a man named Saul And I want you to baptize him. Uh, 
uh, Lord, can you find somebody else? I've heard about this man named Ananias, and I know what he, uh, uh, Saul, and I know what he's all about. He's carrying uh, writs from Jerusalem that allow him to arrest any of us who believe in you. But Ananias, it's my will that you do this. And it's my will that this man Saul will be my instrument and he will deliver my gospel to the nations and he will change lives by the power of my spirit. And it's all going to start when you baptize him. That's where it starts for us. At our baptism. When God calls us to be His children. When God raises us up to go out. Can you imagine on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the apostles that they actually all went out into the streets and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ? What would happen to our community and to our world if we did that every Sunday morning? What if we went to the restaurants that we frequent and witnessed to the waiters and to the waitresses, to the hostess and to the owners? and even to the diners around us. What would happen if we began to use the name of Jesus in our everyday language in simple and profound ways? Would the culture reject us? Would people mock and persecute? Would we make people uncomfortable and nervous? Might we lose our jobs or even family and friends? God calls us to be increasingly vocal in a culture that doesn't want to hear it. To be increasingly engaged with people who need to know that they're loved by Jesus Christ. To go into the world, to have a worldview that's not so focused on worldly stuff, but to have a worldview that's focused on a God who calls us to love the world and to proclaim Christ who died for the world. We say it often, thy will be done. But I encourage you to silently, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, when you hear that phrase, thy will be done, to just add in the words, in my life, in my life. With the thought that our lives are available to God, that God would work His will in our lives in a way that we become engaged in His kingdom in a way that we haven't before. That we begin to 
pray to the Lord, Lord, how would you use me in my life to serve you? How would you use me to share you? Thy will be done. Embrace God's worldview. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all of our human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the true faith of God in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.